2: Hello, happy Saturday, and welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. Busy week across the NFL, specifically in the AFC West. We haven't even opened free agency yet. We're still waiting on the NFL draft. But the Denver Broncos acquired star quarterback Russell Wilson from the Seattle Seahawks. The Los Angeles Chargers acquired Khalil Mack from the Chicago Bears. We are in the middle of a serious race for the AFC West. The Chiefs certainly have their work cut out for them as we head into the NFL draft. We started the week off with the AP Draft Room. They talked about some of the top guys to keep an eye on after last week's NFL Combine. Then we had the Arrowhead Pride Emergency Podcast, myself, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon, discussing the huge Russell Wilson trade to the Denver Broncos. Then we had Chiefs Coast to Coast, our weekly Twitter spaces where they take some of your questions and they discussed all of the Chiefs news that we need to keep an eye on as we head into free agency starting next week. After that, we'll take a quick time out. Then when we get back, the Arrowhead Pride editors, it was the return of the marinated takeaways after the huge Russell Wilson trade. Then we'll finish things up. Rocky Magania, Christian Gumminger filling in for Ron Kop on this week's edition of Draft Talk. They were discussing the Khalil Mack trade in depth and how it affects the Los Angeles Chargers as well as the rest of the race for the AFC West. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride's Best of the Week.
0: If you're at the top of the draft, man, you might be wanting to, to trade down, right? I mean, it might be a good year to trade down, um, you know, maybe stockpile like those, like you're saying, those mid-round picks and, uh, you know, just just maybe, you know, take your chance on, hey, if we don't get this top guy, we'll get another good guy. It's not that much of a difference in that respect. But Talon, what are your thoughts on this year's draft in general?
3: Yeah, I think this might be the year we see see a lot of teams doubling up on picks. You know, go get two edge rushers, go get two wide receivers, go, you know, go right. get two running backs. Um you know, there's so so many guys that are, uh, or I'm sorry, so many positions that are deeper than most classes. That if you're really, uh, you know, searching for for some playmakers, don't don't you know don't be afraid to dip your toe twice. Uh, you know, you can get a first round talent and then get a guy in the third fourth round that that might not be as productive day one, but come year two or three, you got a duo that's that's really scary. So um, that's something I that I don't think we see a lot happen in the draft is doubling up on the same position as rookies. And I understand why. Um, but also I think when we look back on this, after the, the draft is over the top 100 players from this draft will be just head and shoulders above any draft we've ever seen.
0: Wow. Okay. I like that. And I do like the idea of the chiefs double dipping, um, especially like maybe defensive line, um, you know, maybe even two edge rushers, but even if it is like an edge rusher and interior defensive lineman, you know, in day one, day two, I definitely, or doubling up in the secondary, right? I do think the Chiefs have a, a, a multiple positions or multiple position groups. I guess they could they could double up on even receiver, man. You know they could take a high receiver and then take a receiver in the third or fourth round that still has some good value. So speaking of receiver, that's where we're going to start off with, and we're going to start naming names. We're we're name calling here, um, you know, shouting some guys out that you know maybe, and and this is where we're going to start is, is guys that. We haven't watched on film necessarily, or maybe we have a little bit, but just didn't really give them, you know, give them too much time a day, and then their numbers show up, and and we're all of a sudden like, oh, we need to look at that guy a little more, right? Um, and so Brian, I'm gonna start with you on this one. Is there a receiver that kind of fit that category for you out of the, uh, this week's combine?
1: For me, it was uh, Bo Melton uh, coming out of Rutgers. He came in about five foot eleven, hundred ninety pounds, so not the biggest receiver by any means, but at Rutgers specifically, he, the quarterback play was far, far from optimal, and <laughs> you have to factor that into his evaluation. Uh, all he did at the combine, he came in, he ran 4-3-4 on the forty, um, you know, thirty eight inches with the vertical. His three cone was was third amongst wide receivers, and you know, I'll be the first to say, like, don't get too caught up in numbers like this, but. Again, it's, it's something where you you see that, you go back to the film, um, or, or in this case, go to it for the first time, because um, I hadn't watched Melton's play yet. And, and you just see, okay, does it translate? And for me, I think that um, it is something that is going to a little bit. Uh, he's showing some good body control and a little bit that I've got to dive into since he worked out. Um, and I think for a day three selection, you know, round four, round five, he wouldn't have any pressure to come in and perform in Kansas City um, because of the, the weapons that are going to be in front of him. It could be a really good fit. He could develop because he he's going to need some work, obviously, or else he would be picked at the top of the draft or towards the top of the draft. Um, and, and at a minimum, with those kind of athletic traits, you're going to get a, a plus special teams player because uh, that's something that he's got a history with as well, just on the little bit of research I've got to do. So I'm excited to look more into Bo Melton and, and see if if there's a little bit there to be uncovered in terms of his uh, projection.
3: Yeah, he's
0: going to be a guy that in today's NFL, you know, a team's going to say, hey, this guy's, you know, he can create separation because he's that quick, fast, uh, you know, he's, he's more of a slot guy, it looks like. He was used that, that way in college at Rutgers, you know, about 5'10", 190 at the Combine, um, but yeah, no, he definitely has that speed. He definitely has that separation ability, you know, and, and I can definitely see him finding a role as a slot guy in the NFL. So I like that. Talon, is there a receiver that stood out to you in that way?
3: Yeah, and I think he stood out to a lot of people, and he was probably on a lot of people's radars already. But Christian Watson, uh, for me, from North Dakota State, <clears throat> um, I, I, I dabbled a little bit in his film, not much at all. Yeah. Um, but man, his yeah, the, the way he tested and his athletic score, and um, you know, he ran a, well, a 4 6 40, um, and for his size, 6 4, just above 200. Man, that's that's a great time, and he did a lot of other things well, testing wise, too. So, I, I want to go back to the film and kind of see because he didn't have like these mind blowing numbers, and so I, and he he played at a lesser division, so I just or a, a smaller division. Um, I just want to go back and see where teams. You Know focusing on him, what, what was the reason why he just if he's this athletic, why is he just not completely owning every team across the field from? Him? So, um, I just want to go back and see, see, see what may have been causing that.
0: Yeah, he's definitely a guy I think we all should, should maybe give a, a second look to for sure. Because all of a sudden, he could be an option at number 30, a pick 30. I mean, with that testing score, uh, first of all, if you guys follow uh Kent Lee Platt on Twitter at mathbomb. For the for these uh, RAS relative athletic scores, great resource for draft time, especially right up to the combine. Obviously, great resource, and he he scored a nine point nine eight out of ten on the RAS, which is just absolutely absurd. Um, actually, Next Gen Stats have the thing where I guess he had the best athleticism score for any receiver over 6'4 in combine history, or I guess since two thousand three. I guess it's the last time they, or since that's the first time they've tracked that kind of stuff. But yeah, all of a sudden he's looking like a first round kind of caliber talent just based on all these athletic scores how the NFL treats this kind of stuff I mean why wouldn't he be a guy that that might go at that high that's the thing though you're going to say that a lot about a lot of these guys that's the combine um but that is definitely an intriguing option obviously came in about six four about 208 and yeah man moved really well like incredibly well but another kind of bigger guy that that stood out to me that moved pretty well at the combine not as big a name, but Kevin Austin Jr. out of Notre Dame. And he does have an interesting story. So, yeah, he came in uh, at 6'2", 200 at the Combine, um, which is, you know, that's a, a pretty decent-sized receiver, you know, not too small. You know, he, I guess he could have a little bit bulk to him. But second-fastest three-cone of any right receiver at the Combine. The only guy that had a faster one was Calvin Austin, the, the you know, short, very small dude, track speed kind of guy out of Memphis. But the, the reason he really intrigued me, honestly, is because he's this kind of bigger build, right? Has that little that quickness and that three-cone drill. But he played a good amount in the snap, in the slot, I should say, at Notre Dame this last year. 22% of the snaps in 2021 were in the slot. I think he could kind of be that guy that that is a little bit of a... Nate Tice is actually the one who, who coins this phrase, I think. But the power slot, which is kind of that bigger receiver that plays a lot in the slot. I think the Chiefs, you know, they kind of like using, you know, their guys all over the place, right? Obviously, you know, a traditional X role, but, you know, they use Demarcus Robinson in the slot. They use Byron Pringle sometimes in the slot. This could be one of those guys that they can maybe feel comfortable moving, you know, on the outside and into the slot. But one thing I I do want to note on him is, is he has an interesting story. So he's actually... A very highly recruited player uh, coming into Notre Dame, one of the highest recruits in the country. But 2019, his sophomore year, he got suspended the entire season for undisclosed reasons. And I couldn't find any real hints at exactly what it was. I don't know if it was, you know, we have no idea. Some off-field issues suspended for the whole season. And then his junior year 2020, he only plays 10 snaps because he had multiple foot surgeries on his on the same foot. So... He's kind of had a weird college career. 2021, he comes out and has a great year, and that's why he's even in, you know, in the class and even in consideration. But he's a guy that, you know, if he didn't get, if he doesn't get suspended, if he doesn't get hurt, he might be a higher-profile name because he was a, a very big recruit, like I said, out of high school. So a guy I'm definitely interested in for sure. But I want you guys' thoughts on a few other guys. Uh, you know, Alec Pierce, the receiver out of Cincinnati. I mean, man, I, I, I really like those numbers. I mean, he looks like a guy that could be a steal in the, in the third Um, He might even be a higher pick than that at this point. And then my guy Garrett Wilson, I you know I got to shout him out because he's my wide receiver one. He came in a little smaller than I thought, honestly. That almost that almost makes me more impressed with how he looked on tape because he did not look the size he was on tape. You know, he's he actually came in about five eleven, about one eighty three. I thought he was about six foot plus, closer to two hundred. So pretty impressed with Garrett Wilson. Ran faster than his teammate Chris Olave in the forty pretty
1: crazy. Um,
0: any, any other guys at receiver or any comments on Alec Pierce or Garrett Wilson,
1: fellas? In terms of Pierce, um, yeah, he blew me away. I, I I definitely didn't see that coming. And I, I know he, um, even on film, you can tell that he has the foot speed. And so, um, still though, the question for me is going to be the play strength and, and is he going to be able to work in those short to intermediate areas against some of the the stronger corners in the league, but you can't take anything away from what he did this week. And um, the other one that I think is worth talking about is Traylon Burks, because a lot of people would say, you know, kind of underwhelming. You you expect a little bit more of a a freak show type performance from him. And he came in, I would have guessed four, four, five was going to be like his floor for the 40. Um, And he ran four, five, five, but you know, I would I would say let's not overthink it either, because right in play, all the guy does is, is run away from defend defenders and and he kind of ruins their angles in the second level. So uh, I, I don't think he plays at four or five, five. I think he's well above that. And so, you know, if he, if he falls down the board towards where the Chiefs are picking, it's something that I think they're going to have to strongly consider. Um, but I still don't think that's probably going to happen either.
0: Yeah, no, I do think the thing with Burks is, is he might not be the, the the quickest or the most burst, explosive guy. Um, I do think it takes you know it might take him a, a step or two to get going, but that's one of those things where you might you might look at the and I don't have the number, but you might look at his flying twenty number, right? You know the the twenty yards from twenty to forty, and he might you know if that score might be or that speed might be you know faster than a lot of other receivers. But uh, yeah, receiver class is going to be an interesting one, obviously, to follow.
4: This is a little different after six years of having extreme uncertainty at the quarterback position. The Denver Broncos have themselves a legitimate franchise quarterback, certainly a top 10 quarterback in the league with Russell Wilson being sent to the Denver Broncos. Here is the trade package from Adam Schefter. The Seattle Seahawks receive Drew Locke, the Mizzou product, tight end Noah Fant. Defensive lineman Shelby Harris, two first round picks, two second round picks and a fifth round pick. And the Broncos simply get Russell Wilson and what is a fourth round pick. So, Steve, I'll go to you first, because I think when we're first talking about major deals like this, we're always wondering about your initial reaction. What were you thinking when you first heard about this trade? I mean, I was kind of believing
2: Pete Carroll and, and Russell Wilson headed into this where, you know, Russell's met with our guy, Rob Stats Carrera from SB Nation, Niners Nation, uh, ahead of the Super Bowl and said, oh, Seattle's the place that I love. Seattle's where I want to be. I want to continue to try to win championships here in Seattle. And then Pete Carroll saying, no, teams have called and, you know, we've gauged their interest, but we're not looking to move him. We have no interest in doing that. So I was going in the offseason, like all these rumors about big name quarterbacks leaving. None of that's going to happen. Like everybody's going to stay put and we're not going to see anything like this. And Denver's only option is to, you know, go with a retread veteran quarterback like that or to try to go draft somebody because we know the pieces are in place there. This is a really good football team. And now all of a sudden they make this deal and it's like it's hard not to look at their roster and the talent and the young players that they've accumulated over the last several years and say like this team has a chance at being a super bowl contender, like this team even more so than the chargers right now, just today, the way those rosters are made up, the Broncos are a problem in the AFC West now.
4: I think the entire AFC West is a problem. I I think that was my initial thought and I'll, I'll piggyback off that a little bit. You were dealing with a division which, before Justin Herbert became a thing, was a one-quarterback division, and it was just such a layup to make sure that the Chiefs at least were finishing first. I don't think the, the bye week was necessarily guaranteed, but Patrick Mahomes simply was the best, and it was a huge gap, and it was everyone else. Then Justin Herbert got in the mix, and you realized, okay, well, there's one quarterback in the division who – can can play but it's better than than three now you have Russ Wilson and you have Derek Carr and you take Wilson out of the NFC West and you inject him to that Broncos team who was pretty good otherwise than the QB position and I think without a doubt you're looking at the best division in football and it's been a long long time John since the AFC West has been this competitive
5: well, that's certainly true. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm quite as worked up about this as some people are. I think it's fair to say the Broncos are much improved with Wilson at quarterback. But you know, we've seen this. We've seen this movie before. And yes, in that movie, the Broncos went to the Super Bowl a couple of times and won one. But this isn't going to help them over the long term. This is the same. The same uh, road the Chiefs went down for so many years. Uh, let's let's trade assets to get a. Uh, an aging quarterback that's got some championship experience in his background, and that could work for a while, but it can't work for the long term. That's what we learned. And man, Denver gave up a lot of assets to make this deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it no, could work
2: I, for the next five years. That's <laughs> what I, that's what
4: I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit where I'll disagree a little bit is I think it's a little bit different than Peyton, just because. What's Wilson's age? It's it's thirty three. I mean, he yeah. could reasonably play, you know, for another seven yeah. seven years. And I always think, and and this is kind of goes back to that point that I'll always say: if you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you don't have anything. And you know, with draft picks, draft picks are are always interesting because the trade happens, and you you look at the picks, and you know, you say to yourself, okay, man that's a lot of draft picks especially the two first rounders but you have Mm -hmm. to nail the first rounders right I mean one of the Chiefs first rounders that just came to mind and I don't know why he was the first one but it's D. Ford Ford was a good player right he had that terrible I think end to his Chiefs career which I think he's judged maybe a little unfairly on but he was a he was a good player but I don't know if I would say that the Chiefs necessarily nailed that first pick and so you go from being in flux, and the Broncos have realized this for, for a long time, we're in flux at the quarterback position, so we might have a talented receiver like Cortland Sutton. We might have a talented receiver like a Tim Patrick, a, a Jerry Judy. And then it doesn't matter because you don't have the guy to, to throw them to him consistently. And so you look at what they gave up from a player standpoint as well. Shelby Harris, to me, is a good player. I, I pulled this from, from PFF. Harris has an overall PFF grade of at least 76 in each of the past four seasons and can cause problems against the run in the pass. This season, he had 27 total pressures and 19 defensive stops on only 441 snaps. They gave up a really, I think, up-and-coming and what was second-tier approaching first-tier tight end in Noah offense, mm-hmm. But that yep. just means to me, uh, Steve, that they maybe have further belief in Albert O. They, they were in a position where... They might have had two tight ends and and quietly, I think, more so than like the Philadelphia Eagles were with Goddard and Ertz, where both of those guys can really play the position. So I I think you sacrifice that. It's a ton of picks like we just mentioned. But now you have all of these weapons. You have a good running back. You have a good good, uh, line. You have a good defense. And then here's the other thing. This deal comes a day after Von Miller was already kind of flirting in going back to the Denver Broncos after the Broncos uh, were able to receive two picks for him to go to the LA Rams and win a Super Bowl. I got to think Von Miller's going back to Denver. I mean, I know you can't guarantee that. I know he just won a championship in LA, but for someone who said, My heart will always be in Denver, this might be one of those really rare scenarios where you see a guy traded, it's a rental, and he goes right back to the other team.
2: Well, and so. Yeah, I, I think it's a guarantee that Von Miller goes back to Denver now, like you go win a Super Bowl at the Rams and then he goes right back to Denver and he was honest when they traded him that he didn't necessarily want to leave Denver. He loved playing in Denver, but he understood the situation and said, you know, send me to a good team and they did and he got a Super Bowl ring out of it. So but when you look at the makeup of this roster, the way it, it presently sits and obviously they're giving up draft picks, but they were already extremely talented and they're still going to have a little bit of money to work with. So I think that Von Miller is for sure going back to the Denver Broncos and they've got cornerstones on their defense already. Like Patrick Sertan, II second looks like he is a superstar cornerback as a rookie and Jeffrey Simmons is one of the best safeties in the NFL. Bradley Chubb is still young enough that you think you could still get a lot of mo- a lot more production out of him. And then yeah, their offense Jerry Judy, who we still haven't seen be a a tier one wide receiver in the NFL, but I think all the talent is there. They just needed somebody who could get him the ball because he's always open. And then Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton are both big wide receivers who can make plays down the field. Like you think of those Russell Wilson moonshots to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. He's going to be able to do that with these players. And then they have a rookie running back in Javante Williams, who looks like he can be an absolute superstar at his position the Broncos have to beef up their offensive line a little bit because it's not great. And same thing goes when you look at a team like the Chargers, their defensive line and their offensive line are are both the issues that they have to address this offseason. But if they do that, if the Broncos still spend some money and try to figure out their offensive line situation, like all of a sudden those two teams are looking like they are a lot closer to the Kansas City Chiefs than I thought they were going to be heading into the 2022 season.
4: I just look at the Broncos and man, they have just been so mundane and boring for so long. <laughs> and they've just gotten their ass kicked by the Chiefs every single time. They have no quarterback. They decided to hire a, a, a defensive head coach in the midst of what is a young offense resurgent league. And I, I, I say that and, and you, you might say, oh, well, Andy Reid is in the 60s. Andy Reid is an outlier there. He basically is a young. He's got that young head coach. Creative energy so you don't necessarily Need that in Kansas City Now you have Nathaniel Hackett Who goes there Nathaniel Hackett by the way Was the offensive coordinator from 19 to 21 with the Green Bay Packers while Aaron Rodgers was winning MVPs. so the thought process There is probably look Russell Wilson hasn't really looked like Russell Wilson In recent years but this is going to give Him some new energy it's going to be A fresh start it's going to be a great head Coach I think to pair him with and those offensive pieces are in place. The Broncos made a point of it during last season. It was unique where they're signing these receivers to extensions and locking them up ahead of time. And you're like, what are they doing? Like, you guys are, are starting Bridgewater and lock at this. And I just think it was this grand plan. It didn't necessarily work out with Rogers. Rogers had been connected to them quite a bit. Rogers ends up staying in Green Bay, reportedly signing a four-year deal, which was earlier this morning and then now you get the other chess piece to fall, which is Wilson uh, going to the, the Denver Broncos. I have a point here, and, and this is just about the AFC West, and this is a hard point to hear, and, and I'd, I'd, I'm not happy to say this here on the Arrowhead mm-hmm. Pride podcast, but this screws all of these teams when they're going after one bye in the AFC because these days of the Kansas City Chiefs just easily mm-hmm. winning six division games are over. I'm not saying they're not. They're they're going to lose a uh, a uh, uh, a lot of these games or even be sub 500, but three in the division now, four and two in the vi- four and two in the division now is excellent, excellent. Mm-hmm. Especially when yeah. you consider that Derek Carr sometimes has these games where he he plays the Chiefs well. Now instead of it being Patrick Mahomes big gap, three quarterbacks, it's three quarterbacks, big gap, Derek Carr. <laughs> You'll never feel for the Las Vegas Raiders, but they are are so far in the most important position from the rest of the division. But now you have these four games a year, four of the 17 games are either go, going to be against Justin Herbert or Russ Wilson. And now also you have Derek Carr and Derek Carr tends to play the Chiefs better than, it seems like any other team. Maybe that's just being here in Kansas City. Well, <laughs> that's six tough games. That's six really hard games. And when you have to have the it's it, the two, it not being the two by thing. I think I think, I, I think John. That's where I'm getting hung up, and that's where I think this stinks because it's just going to be a lot harder to have the best record in the AFC with this hard schedule each and every year. I woke
6: up this morning. I was like, "What are we going to talk about?" I know it's a couple things, and then. The Lord just blessed us out of out of nowhere.
7: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild, man. Uh, the AFC West just got a little bit tougher.
6: Let's 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 stay with the Chiefs before we kind of bounce around the league a little bit. Uh, we touched on Orlando Brown last pod, and he's going to be kind of our opening topic here. The Chiefs officially announced. Ahead of the deadline, they placed the non-exclusive franchise tag on him, meaning the team can make an offer, Kansas City can match, or they can let him walk and get those two first-rounders. But as we talked about before, I think that this is just a placeholder while they work out a long-term deal. He's going to make around 16.5 uh, if he were to sign, sign on the dotted line. But there's also some wrinkles in that as well, Mark. He, he's going to represent himself, man. It, 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 it's an interesting saga as far as Orlando Brown is concerned. Is that official? I know he was debating about doing it or getting an agent. Is that official? I saw Garofolo came out with it, and he's with NFL Network. He talked to, I believe it was Jamal Brown, who, who who's in Orlando Brown's ear, and basically said that he's deciding on, on representing himself or if he's going to hire an agent, and he's not planning on signing the tag until – That piece of the business is determined. He also has some sort of charity event that he wanted to put a lot of his focus into. But it just seems like a lot of posturing to me, man. I'm going to be honest with you. It doesn't really seem – this kind of seems like an inevitable move that's going to be made. It's just a lot of uh, icing on the cake before then, I guess.
7: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we already talked about it a little bit last week. We were talking about potential moves and what's the first order for the Chiefs and Brett Veach. This offseason, I think we both pretty much agreed that Orlando Brown was, if not number one at the very top of that list, one or two. And, yeah, I mean, we expected this franchise tag, not a surprise at all. Obviously, right before the deadline, just to kind of secure that you at least have him for next season. But I do believe, ultimately, they will come to terms for a long-term deal. The numbers, that's uh, something they're going to have to work out, obviously. With him being a left tackle, that's the premier position on the offensive line, and it's a little bit more premier when you're protecting the best quarterback in the world, in Patrick Mahomes. So he's going to get some good money, man. I'm not sure exactly what the number will be, but I'm pretty much can guarantee he's going to be north of 20 million a
6: year. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a big payday, and and he knew that when he when he came over to KC and obviously made his intentions clear as far as wanting to be a left tackle. I'm, I'm, I'm fishing for this Garofolo information because I think there was also something else that was important in there. Uh, and, and it was basically talking about um, his intention to want to stay in Kansas City, man. And, and, and that uh, is something that Brett Veach talked about ahead of the NFL Combine and, and now comes out in, the, in this NFL Network report. I kind of just threw that in the space real quick if y'all if y'all want to check it out. Uh, Garrett Follo goes to great work for NFL Network but I mean these sides are operating in good faith it, it it's just a matter of of the money getting done uh, obviously we're we're in a part of the timeline now where there's a whole lot of off season left to play there's a whole lot of negotiations that can continue to happen we know guys in the past have said hey I want to have this done by training camp haven't seen any kind of deadline like that as far as Orlando Brown is concerned um but what was important to me and something that stood out was basically the report adding that he wants to be in Kansas city and he's the type of player who can be there for the rest of this. That's an exact quote. I'll throw that in there too, which is, which is important, man.
7: Oh yeah. hundred percent. And the main thing that stands out for me about Orlando Brown. And one reason why I liked him from the beginning, even before he made his first snap in the red and gold is his desire to play that position. Obviously with his dad You know, he always wanted to be a left tackle. It was something that he strived for since a kid, basically. And for him to be the left tackle on this team, protecting that quarterback on a team that has a chance to compete for Super Bowls every single year, it doesn't get much better than that for him at this point. I mean, he made the Pro Bowl. He's still young. You know, I mean, if you stay in Kansas City at that position on this team, on that offense, I mean, you can create a resume you know, five, seven years down the road that could potentially be Hall of Fame worthy. I mean, because the thing about the Hall of Fame is sometimes it's about your situation as well. You know, we see really good players, but they're on like dynasty type teams. So they kind of get elevated a little bit higher versus if you were just a really good player on, say, you know, Detroit. You know, you weren't generational, but you were, you know, you were really good. But if you're really good, On a team that's competing year in and year out, you're getting Pro Bowls and accolades and things like that because your team is winning. You can make a legit argument that you could be a Hall of Famer one day. And I think that's something that he also is striving for.
6: Speaking of people declaring their interest and wanting to be in KC, uh, not only Orlando Brown. This tweet just came in from from Josh Gordon. We know he's a a practice squad guy. Says, KC, right where I want to be. Ain't gonna lie, I'm hyped for 2022. So that that's interesting. A lot of a lot of activity on on Chiefs Twitter today, and I guess that'll be a, a perfect segue into this next guy that we seemingly can't avoid. Man, one one day we're gonna be able to not talk about Chiefs Twitter. One day we're gonna be able to just come on this pod, laugh, have a good time, and not have to talk about deleted tweets, man. But but here we are <laughs> talking about uh, a tweet deleted from at Matthew Era. Uh, and I'm going to throw it into the throw it into the spaces, but I'll just read it as well for those listening on, on, on the podcast stream. It says Wilson in the West. Damn, what could have been? I'm gonna let you kick this one off. I know this is your boy. We've been talking about this all back all week, back and forth. Seems like we've been hanging on every every tweet from this guy. What, what's your latest reaction to, the, to this latest tweet?
7: Yeah, and I like when you know when I know you're out, you might not be on Twitter, and I send you his tweets. <laughs> I did that a couple of times this past week, and you're just like, oh, man. <laughs> but, um, yeah, anyway, about Tyron Matthew. So last week on this pod, I said I'm leaning slightly towards him staying. Remember that?
6: Uh, well, oh, yes, and I think I took the opposite position.
7: Well, I'm here to tell you I'm changing my stance.
2: Oh! Uh, 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 <laughs> uh.
7: I've, I've come to grips that Tyron Matthew would not be in the Kansas City Chiefs uniform he's this coming come fall, to
6: grips. I love how you phrased that. I've
7: come to grips. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it it pains me to say that because Tyron Matthew, even before he became a chief, he was always one of my favorite players, especially what he did in college at LSU. That's where he created the Honey Badger name. Now he's the landlord, but yeah, it, it's it's over.
6: Let's. I, mean, I want to dig a little bit deeper. You said yeah. Grips, and, and this has only been a week's time. We had the same conversation <laughs> on March 1st, uh, the same day on the same platform, and you said he was going to build a legacy. When you picture Tyron Matthew, you mentioned Hall of Fame and a lot of that stuff, but when you say you picture Tyron Matthew, you picture him in the red and gold. Now you're picturing him somewhere else. What changed?
7: The tweets. I mean he can't get more direct at this point I mean over the last week I feel like it's been more obvious I mean he's obviously said things before last week but to me it was never like a concrete he's for sure leaving but when you have stuff like that deleted tweet today that you got up there on the jumbotron I mean how can I ignore that how can I keep having a blind eye to these things right and the tweet, the one tweet he made where he was talking about um, yeah, what let that guy get an apartment first before y'all want him to replace these ten and a half Jordan ones. I'm like, okay. Like, <laughs> are you talking about like Daxon Hill, maybe, who the Chiefs might draft in the first round from Michigan? Like, I, I just can't ignore it no more, man. Uh he's gone. He's gonna get more money somewhere else, cause there will be a team out there that will be desperate enough just to get him away from the Chiefs preferably probably an an AFC team. I could see Baltimore as a possibility. And the Chiefs just aren't going to give him what he wants. And, you know, I think it's a smart decision because at the same time, as much as I love him as a player, leadership, et cetera, et cetera, he's going to be 30 years old. And here's the thing. You always pay guys for what you think they're going to do moving forward. I see a lot of people say, he deserves it. Look what he's done. Yeah, I understand that. But you should not pay guys for what they've done in the past. You should pay them for what you think they're going to do in the years you give them in their contract coming up. And when he's turning 30, I think we're going to see him slightly decline over the next two or three years. And you don't want to be stuck paying an old safety that much money because I think he's going to ask for a lot. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
4: Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. John, we thought our marinated takeaways were were dead and buried, but we had our emergency <laughs> podcast yesterday. Russ Wilson uh, heading to the Denver Broncos really changes the game, I think, in in the AFC West. We had our emergency podcast with me, you, Stephen Serta, had some takes fired off. And then last night we had our coast-to-coast, our Twitter space that had some takes on Russ Wilson to the Denver Broncos. Now that 24 hours have passed, John, I'll throw it to you. Anything change about this this monster trade with uh, Drew Locke and, and a package going to the Seahawks and Russ Wilson to the Broncos?
5: Well, you know what strikes me about this after I've thought about it a little while um, is it just shows that despite the season he had in 2021, which was substantially off by his standards. We talked about this when we were speculating about who the most improved player for the Chiefs in 2022 would be. Right. Um, Patrick Mahomes is still the guy to beat in this division. Um, you see this and what the Chargers did and now what the Broncos have done. Um, I'm surprised that the Raiders have, uh, haven't done something similar to just, you know, try and find a way to match what Mahomes does on the field. Um, so, you know, there are people who will try and say Mahomes is, is gone. He's, he's not the guy that we thought he was after the season he had in 2021. Well, obviously the rest of the AFC West doesn't think so. They expect Mahomes to be a player that they're going to have to contend with, and the way they want to do that is to put a guy that can come close to equaling what he does on the field. And I think that's what this Russell Wilson move shows. I think it's arguable about whether Russell Wilson is that guy, right. but uh, at this stage in his career, but you can see that that's the Broncos' thinking at this point. Right, right. I,
4: I, I just you know I look at the Super Bowl odds and and I. I think I just keep going back to the point where I I just think it affects the whole AFC West more than the chiefs because the chiefs are are in a scenario where I think it, and I I think the Bengals had a nice run, but it's not the Bengals it's the Buffalo bills with Josh Mm -hmm. Allen and the way Josh Allen was playing in that last game. If you really think about, okay, if, if the chiefs are the Patriots in this scenario and you're thinking about the Colts of yesteryear, that's the rivalry. It's the chiefs and the, and the Buffalo bills. And the Buffalo Bills don't play in the AFC West. The Buffalo Bills play the Miami Dolphins, which are under a new regime, and start Tua. They play Zach Wilson, a second year player, a quarterback in, in the Jets, who who, for lack of better term, stunk his first year. <laughs> Mac Jones was good. Yeah, you know, he made a Pro Bowl, but it's it's just not um as competitive as the AFC West is. And now you have the Kansas City Chiefs, and you're gonna have six tough games four tougher mm-hmm. than the two against the Raiders, but still the Raiders play the chiefs recently pretty tough. Yep. So, you know, th- that's a huge advantage for Buffalo. And if they're able to get a, a bye week we just know how big of an advantage that is. The bye week helped lead the chiefs to the championship, you know, three years ago now. So I just, uh, I, I just think it's, it's a killer for the AFC West because not to say that you could just walk over drew lock. If you remember the, Drew Locke actually almost beat the Chiefs in that final game. Um, if it wasn't for Melvin Ingram and Nick Bolton, who knows how that game goes. But so, you know, you're going to get your your fluky type of, of, of games when, even when you don't have a, a quarterback like Russ Wilson. It just makes it a lot tougher, two tougher games. Um, and it's for everybody. It's for the Chargers and the Raiders as well. These teams are really going to be beating up on each other, and it's going to be tough for for A, to make the postseason if you're on the fringe like a Raiders and Chargers were. Uh, to an extent as the end of the season. And then ultimately, it's it's going to become a lot tougher to have the best record in the conference. And I know I hit on that yesterday, but the more I think about it, I, I just think the AFC West is, is so clearly the best division in football. And one of the signatures of the Chiefs for so long, even dating back to the Alex Smith days, has been this divisional dominance. And it could almost be mm-hmm. assumed because the division was weak. And it's just not going to be able to be assumed anymore. I, I know I said four two four and two would be great, like three and three in the division. I, you almost take that when you look at this division now, and it's it's wild to say that. So um, I'm eager to see that. And and one thing I wanted to say also too with with uh, and Carrington made this point, and I wanted to share it on our um, airwaves. Uh, he made it to me yesterday when I was doing six ten, but it's really going to wake up that Chiefs Broncos rivalry, and I, yeah. I know that oh, yeah. that's not not necessarily a welcomed thing um but uh to me if you really think about uh and you can fast forward your mind and try to think about what i think is going to be a primetime game pat mahomes russ wilson a division game for the first time that is going to get your juices flowing as an nfl fan way more than mahomes Simeon. (laughs) You <laughs> know, like Mahomes, <laughs> Lock, Mahomes, Bridgewater. I mean, this right. is Russ Wilson versus Patrick Mahomes. He didn't have a great uh, Wilson didn't have a great 2021 season, but regardless, it, it changes the game because I, I think there's the prospect of it being a fresh start for him. You know, he's going to be ultra motivated to prove himself, and I think similar in the sense to what Aaron Rodgers has, has gone through, and this will be fun again. Chiefs Broncos hasn't been fun for a while. It really hasn't. Uh, it wasn't fun for Chiefs fans uh, back in the day as the Broncos dominated with Peyton Manning. It hasn't been fun for Broncos fans uh, with the Chiefs dominating for so long. But this is, uh, I think, a real legitimate rivalry again, it, or it, at least it, it, it projects to be, in my opinion.
5: Well, you know, I know a lot of fans are concerned that uh, and see this as really bad news because the Broncos are going to be better. I mean, that's inarguable. That right. the Bron- this is really going to improve the Broncos' chances to play well in any game that they play. I, everybody is going to agree on that, but I'm not. I'm not completely convinced it's a bad thing. Uh, you know, competition is good. Mm-hmm. We say that all the time. We say that competition is good, and uh, if it's going to be harder for the Chiefs to get through their division. That just makes him better in the offseason. That makes him right. better against the other opponents. Um, you know, yeah, these games are going to be more difficult to win, absolutely. But I say, bring it on! You know, this is this is what, it, as Andy Reid would say, this is what it's all about. We look forward to the challenge of playing a great football <laughs> team. You know, so we look the challenge I, of playing I, Russell Wilson twice. Yeah, a year. so so bring it on! Let's see what happens. Let's go.
4: The poll of the week was: As a Chiefs fan, how concerned does the trade for Wilson make you about the Broncos? I put three options: very concerned, somewhat concerned, and not concerned. Forty-eight point eight percent of Chiefs fans are not concerned, so half half of the fan wow. base. Forty-five point nine, about half, are somewhat concerned, and a very small five percent are very concerned. So it's about split where raise half the fan base. I think is they're raising some eyebrows, and the other half is is still not worried and I think when you have Patrick Mahomes, you should have that confidence. I, I think this is a big offseason for Patrick Mahomes, but I, I think, John, oh, yeah. as you have alluded to in previous podcasts, I think he's going to come back sort of uh, with a vengeance to to prove that he's still the best QB in the league. And I think Vegas realizes that as as he's still the, uh, he's the favorite to win the MVP for the 2022 season. All right, we had mentioned that free agency is coming up. This is the last thing we're going to talk about to, on today's podcast. Um, John, you've been doing a nice job for us at Arrowhead Pride, A, rounding up some of these mock drafts, but keeping a tally and a percentage on the position. So what's your report there? Where do these talking heads and experts see the, the Chiefs going in when it comes time for for the draft in late April?
5: Well, I think if you ask any Chiefs fan who's sitting at the end of the bar, uh, they're going to tell you that the biggest need the Chiefs have is edge rusher. But these national writers who are putting out these mocks, we've covered 29 of them on Arrowhead pride so far. Uh, more than half of them uh, think the Chiefs are going to go with some kind of a defensive back. And, and most of them who are picking defensive back are going with Daxton Hill out of Michigan. Um, right. as, as I mentioned earlier, Todd McShay just uh, made that choice on his mock draft today, his mock draft 3.0. Uh, on his previous two drafts, he had the Chiefs taking the Penn State wide receiver, Dotson um in his at the 30th pick so he's now on board with Daxton hill from michigan uh, and he's thinking about tyron matthew and the chiefs having to fill that hole so that's going to be one of the questions that we'll have to answer in free agency are the chiefs going to try and do something about that or are they going to depend on the draft to do that
8: okay so let's talk about some of this big news so let's just jump right on in it's been a wild wild week of uh trades in the AFC West, it's it's almost like an arms race is uh heating up in the AFC West. Um you know, tired of
9: giving it to the Chiefs every year.
8: They are people are tired of watching the Chiefs just run rough shot through their towns and just take whatever they want, and they're trying to stand up to us and say, You can't have it anymore.
9: Is it gonna work, Christian? No, I honestly no. So the the big news for the week, obviously. Russell Wilson traded for a, a package from the C, the Seattle Seahawks to the Denver Broncos. Um, check out the emergency pod yesterday. Was it yesterday? It's all running together at this so. point with uh, Pete and Serta and uh, John um, and Chicken. You know, for real good commentary on that, listen to them talk about it. Um, and then today, you have Khalil Mack heading back to the AFC West. For peanuts. Um, not exactly sure what the Bears are doing trading Khalil Mack to the Los Angeles Chargers for a second this year and a sixth pick next year. Um, I was talking with somebody on Twitter, like, they're like, well, it's a complete blow up. But I'm like, you're trading Khalil Mack for what is essentially Juan Thornhill and Nick Allegretti. Yeah, essentially.
8: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, yeah I would
9: definitely do
8: it. I would throw in. I throw in something else. I throw a Mike Dana in there too, and a Turk <laughs>
9: Wharton on right. top. You know, just to sweeten the deal a little bit. But that's essentially uh, what happened today. Is Khalil Mack makes his return, and he'll be playing second fiddle at this point to Joey Bosa. Um, so you know, the Chargers loading up on their defensive line. Uh, the Broncos trying to find competency at the quarterback position, and the Raiders are still the Raiders. So, so let me ask you this: uh,
8: with the Khalil one Mack of these trades, things
9: doesn't belong.
8: Yeah, one of these things doesn't belong, and it's and it's always the Raiders. Even if the Raiders were competitive, the answer would still be the Raiders. It's Why? The Raiders. Because they're still the Raiders. They'll yeah. always be the Raiders, no matter how talented they are. Raiders are going to Raider every single season. Um, but t- going back to the Cleo Mac trade really quick, do you think the Cleo Mac trade? I am sure it was already in the works prior to today but do you yeah. think that the urgency of getting it done was stepped up on the chargers. And now that Russell Wilson is in the division as well, and there's going to be a premium on getting to the quarterback because all because three out of the four teams in the division
9: have elite quarterbacks now. I would, I would say, yeah. I mean, the AFC itself is a gauntlet, but the AFC West is insanely tough. Um, I, I think that it was in the works. I do think, I mean, it's hard to tell if there's any urgency because, again, they didn't really give anything away. They didn't add anything to the deal that makes you think that they panicked at all. Um, so I, I definitely think there's an arms race, though. I think what's interesting is the reaction so far from everybody saying, why haven't the Chiefs done anything yet? Um, so let me ask you, what would you want the Chiefs to do between now and Monday that would make you feel like they're still, they're they're at least watching. They're paying attention.
8: Trade for Khalil Mack. <laughs> That's what I would have wanted them to do. I mean, and what's um, interesting
9: is the general manager who pulled the trigger, Ryan Poles, comes from Kansas City.
8: Yeah, so you, can, you gotta imagine, like, like just why would he call I up his it old happened. friend? Happened. Yeah, like it's it's interesting that. I mean, you would like to, you would think that he at least gave Brett Veach a call at some point, and there was a discussion about the compensation made. And either Veach thinks that um, Max' best days are behind him, or he, or the salary is prohibitive at this point.
9: Um is weird. I think it's only like six. I think it's only like six million this year. That, I mean, that's only that's all that the Bears are saving this year. There's still wow. three years left on the deal. But
8: is this just a situation for the Bears where? Poles just wants his guys. He wants to clear out, clear out the old regime.
9: I don't I don't know. Cause they're they're taking on over 20 million dollars in dead cap. The yeah, Bears, yeah. which is again the weirdest part of this trade. I, I don't fully understand why the Bears do this unless they're just blowing it all up.
8: Yeah, which appears it looks like they're just going for draft capital at that point. Okay, so shifting gears a little bit over to uh to Russell Wilson. Um there is a little bit of I don't want to say the word fear, you know, when I think about playing the Broncos next year, because this instantly makes the Broncos a contender, um, in my mind. Um, do you I disagree or it? do you agree with that? Yeah, I think it makes them with, with their defense and the and the tar- and the weapons that they have to target with Jerry Judy, um, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, you know, I think that they have the the, the receivers there and then they have the defense as well. So, do you disagree?
9: I do a little bit. And here's why. I think I think we're a little bit ahead of our, of our skis right now. To me, this feels a lot more Cleveland Browns last year, where we're jumping on the bandwagon saying the Cleveland Browns are the third best team in the AFC. They scheduled the Cleveland Browns to open up against the Chiefs because they thought the Cleveland Browns was going to be that good of a team. They didn't finish the year they made the playoffs and had their first playoff win in forever. They still finished third in their division. The Masters, they finished, I believe, third in their division again, or maybe fourth.
8: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
9: that's, that's behind a defense that has all kinds of blue chip players behind it, with Miles Garrett. Um, they had a really great draft. I can't remember exactly remember the corner they picked up, in um, the draft, but I, I know it was it was highly regarded. I think, I mean, the Broncos haven't made the playoffs yet. They haven't made yeah. the playoffs since the 2015 season when they won a Super Bowl 50. I don't I think it's a little quick to say that they are Super Bowl contenders. I think that they're playoff contenders. I think they're in you know, they they can definitely win the division. So, so but I don't the, think they're Super Bowl contenders. So the question is with the division
8: being as strong as it is now, uh, with the Chargers being strong and the Chiefs being strong and now the Broncos be adding Russell Wilson and and being contenders for the division in the AFC, it seems like this is the strongest division, and the and the, the, the winner. Football. It is, and so you would think that the team that comes out of this division would be a Super Bowl contender. If you come out of it through the gauntlet as the AFC of the AFC West as the AFC West champion, it's really the AFC West and the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals um, at this point in the AFC, uh, in yeah, my I'll opinion. Right? You know, yeah, yeah. and I'll,
9: I'll go. I'll take. I'll take a little bit of what I back. What what I said back.
8: Yeah, so I would I would say, because uh, I think the Bengals are due for a regression next yes. year, um,
9: big time. Then they got really as lucky.
8: They did. And then so you got the Bills, and then the AFC West, I think, is what you're really looking at coming out of the AFC next year. And I'm not going to entertain the Titans as being actual contenders until they win a playoff game.